Welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place to follow the stats, storylines, players, tournaments, and everything else going on in the world of professional volleyball. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. It's an absolutely beautiful day in Toronto, Canada, where I'm recording from. Hopefully it's nice where you are too. Not too hot, not too cloudy. Anyway, today I'm doing the 8th Mailbag Podcast. Got tons of great questions from you guys. Remember, if you want to ask a question for the next mailbag, I'll put up a story on my Instagram at 51VB. And then, you know, you just type in your answer on the story. It's really easy. I try to get to all of them. So if you want your question answered on the next podcast, remember to check the Instagram out. Today's podcast, I'll be covering questions on Wilfredo Leon in Poland, the Olympic qualifying tournaments, which are coming up very soon. And of course, the usual questions about my favorite players, personal questions, stuff like that. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. So the first question we have of this 8th Mailbag podcast comes from Declan. And he asks, will Wilfredo Leon end up being the undisputed greatest of all time volleyball player by the time he retires? It's kind of a tough question to answer because different people determine who the best player in a sport is in different ways. For example, if you just want to count accolades, it's highly doubtful that Leon would pass Sergio Santos, who has two Olympic golds, two Olympic silvers, and just an absolutely unbelievable amount of medals with the Brazilian national team from 2000-2016. Leon has not competed in international competition for most of the past decade, so even if he goes on an absolute tear with Poland, over the next 10 years. It's highly unlikely he'll match that. However, he does have a pretty unbeatable club resume, winning all those awards with Zenit Kazan in the Champions League. Off to a bit of a rough start with Perugia, but I'm assuming he's gonna win a couple more championships with them. And then one of the other ways we judge players in the resumes is obviously their stats. And in that category, I think Wilfredo Leon is definitely gonna go down as the best player of all time. He easily had the best individual regular season from a statistical standpoint this year in the Italian Superliga, absolutely crushing the Aces record. It wasn't even close. Having one of the most efficient scoring seasons ever in the league for a wing player and doing so while being one of the league's leading scorers. So that's a very good point on Wilfredo Leon's resume. And he also had similar success in the Russian Superliga, where he had the best stats pretty much every year that he played in the league. And obviously both these leagues, very competitive. So stats aren't everything, but when you're beating the statistical output of guys like Maxim Mikhailov and Osmani Wantarena, pretty good indication that you're a great player. And then a third way we compare guys is just watching them play. And to me, I think Wilfredo Leon has an advantage over everyone else in this regard. He is an absolutely incredible player to watch, super explosive athlete, just looks completely unblockable and undiggable in a lot of the games he plays on. It's an exciting event whenever he goes behind the service line. Probably one of the most exciting events of a lot of the games of the Italian Super League this year. And I don't think there's really any player other than maybe Irvin Engapet who inspires that kind of excitement every time he steps onto the court. And then the fourth category, kind of unique to volleyball, is positional importance. Sergio is obviously a phenomenal player, revolutionized the libero position. Mazursky is absolutely dominant on both sides of the ball. But there is definitely an argument to be made that the most important players are usually the wings and maybe the setters. So maybe that's where Wilfredo Leon has a bit more of an advantage. 
So using all those criteria, I don't think it's guaranteed that Leon will be the greatest player of all time, especially since he didn't have that remarkable international career that defines so many of volleyball's greats. But we'll see. He could definitely get there if Poland wins the 2020 Olympics and maybe even the 2024 Olympics. If Leon gets a couple more Italian league titles, maybe another Champions League or two, I think I think he would be pretty comfortably the greatest volleyball player of all time. But there's still a lot of volleyball to be played for him. Still only 25, turning 26 next week, actually. But I will say that he's probably above where other guys in the conversation were around his age. So that was a lot of time on the first question, but it was a very interesting question. Thank you to Declan. But next one is also about Leon from Justin Martin 23 and he asks, will Leon transition better to Poland than Leal did to Brazil? I think he definitely will transition pretty well. The fit seems really natural for him. Just slide him in right beside Mikhail Kubiak. The Polish setters don't run anything too fancy. They don't run a super fast offense, so that's perfect for Leon, who likes more of a slow, high ball offense. Plus, I think integrating him into the starting lineup is a big reason why Poland sent their B team to the Chicago VNL Finals. He wanted Leon to be able to play in practice with all these guys for a long time before he uses him in the Olympic qualifying tournament. Which leads to the next question also about Leon and Poland, and that's from Owen Voge, and he asks, what's the potential starting six for Poland now that Leon is available? And I think it'll be Leon and Kubiak definitely starting at the outside hitter position, Kohanovski and probably Beniak at the middles, Pavel Zatorski is an easy one for the libero, probably Fabian Drija at cetera, although I wouldn't be surprised to see Gregor's Lomage as well. Opposite is where it starts to get interesting. I know Vidal Hannon loves David Konarski. Not a huge fan of Konarski myself. Always really struggled to attack, in my opinion, especially out of system. But he's definitely favored by Hannon. I would rather see Machi Muzai or Lukasz Kaczmarek. But we just heard that Lukasz Kaczmarek was cut from tryouts by Vidal Hannon, so he's definitely not participating. And there's also been some rumors floating around of maybe Wilfredo Leon playing opposite and bringing in Schlifka. To hit right side and receive there's a lot of interesting stuff that he could do but i imagine he will play with a more traditional lineup just for the olympic qualifying tournament because very low margin for error especially against france and we have one more poland question before we move on it's from logan Mueller, and he asks do you think poland's b team's recent level of play can be sustained or was it just a lucky hot streak so the first thing is that we won't see this polish b team for a little while most of them will not be selected to the Polish A-team that is competing in the Olympic qualifying tournaments and also in the Eurovolley Championships in September. I think the next chance they'll have to play together would probably be at the World Cup taking place in October, right after the European Championships. Because they're so close together, Poland likely to keep their A-team at home. But if that group does play together in that tournament, I don't think their play in the VNL was that far above how each of those individual players usually play. I think maybe Karl Kloch probably had the biggest leap from his regular season with Skral Belchatov to playing in the VNL. But Pardash Bednorz was playing that way since for pretty much the entire second half of a season with Modena. Machi Musa we saw had an incredible season. Same with Lukas Kaczmarek. Papaschwak has been a rising libero star in Poland for a little while now. Same with Bartosz Folek, played an absolutely integral role in Oniko Versava's really good season in Poland this year. So it's not like these guys were unknown names or anything. Most of them were still very good players 
I would say Marcin Comenda, the setter, was the only guy who I think played pretty far above his usual level. He's a very steady and skilled setter, but I would say his setting was pretty much pinpoint during that final six, whereas usually I, I wouldn't say it's quite, quite that accurate. And also I think Brazil, you know, playing their second team during that bronze medal match, and they looked really out of it during that match, having attended the game in person, so I wouldn't put too, too much stock into that. But they did beat Brazil in five in the pool phase round and also beat Iran. So some impressive victories for them, for sure. Poland, Poland is just really deep. So that was about 10 minutes complimenting Poland. So if you're a Polish volleyball fan, you're welcome. And I'll just take this opportunity to answer Harry Younger's question, which is who's got Tokyo 2020? Tough to say, or still a full year out. So a lot can change in that time. But I would say Poland, number one favorite. We'll see how Leon integrates with the team, but... I would say as of now, they're the favorite. And then Russia, number two. I would say USA, third favorite. Didn't have their best VNL, but I think still the talent on that team is unbelievable. And then I would put Brazil, number four. Probably have those four guys pretty pretty comfortably above the rest of the teams like Italy, Serbia, and France, Canada, and Argentina. But it's not a guarantee that any of those teams even make the Olympics, so that's why the next couple weeks in the Olympic qualifiers are so important. And Logan Mueller has another question, which is, what traditionally well-performing teams are most likely to get upset in the Olympic qualifying tournament? It's probably the toughest question I got asked, just because I don't think there's a really good team that will likely get dethroned. We know the obvious battles, Italy, Serbia, and Pool C, Poland, France, and Pool D, and then Canada versus Argentina in Pool F. I don't think any one of those teams beating the other one would particularly be an upset, Maybe France beating Poland would be a decently big upset, but not really. France is so talented, one of the top teams in the world. So excluding all those teams, I think the biggest chance for an upset is probably Belgium beating the USA. Belgium has Sam Daru, top 10 outside hitter in the world. Thomas Rousseau just had a fantastic season in the Plus Liga. Whoever they decide to go with between Stein de Ulst, who had some great moments in Lube this year, or Matthias Valkyrs. Peter Verhees and Simon Vandevoort are a great experienced duo in the middle. Bram Vandedries on opposite. So that they have good players at every position. And while I do think the USA is definitely a way more talented team, if Thomas Jaski and Aaron Russell and TJ DeFalco are still dealing with injuries somehow, unlikely that all three are still injured and they have to start Garrett Magatutia again then I, I could see the odds being a lot closer than people think they are. Belgium gets hot for one game, that's all it takes. Maybe even the Netherlands, who I don't think are as good as Belgium, but are hosting the tournament, have Namir Abdelaziz, have Thijs Terhorst, have an outside shot at maybe winning the pool too. Again, both unlikely scenarios, but within the realm of possibility. And then maybe Cuba and Iran could give Russia some trouble. We know that Robert Landy Simon is returning to play for Cuba, along with Hirzulo, the setter, and then maybe one of the opposites like Michael Sanchez or Fernando Hernandez, which can make them a decently dangerous team to Russia, still still very much the underdog. Also, Iran, with that amazing starting seven lineup they played for most of VNL, fell apart a bit during the final six, but if they play at their highest level, I, I could be, see them maybe taking a game off Russia. But ultimately, I think... Belgium has the best chance to upset out of all those second and third tier teams. Jeff ABC 18 asks, will Canada win their Olympic men's qualifier pool? And if not, will they win their North American qualifiers? So I think they will 
win their Olympic qualifying pool. Obviously, their main competition is Argentina. They've beaten Argentina at the last two Nations League, the last two times they've played pretty comfortably. I think they match up well with Argentina. I think their physicality, size, and athleticism contrasts with Argentina, who doesn't have the greatest serving team. I think I think that's why the matchup works so well in Canada's favor. Obviously, it's a very slight favor, and there's still health concerns with Canada in regards to TJ Sanders and Shawan Vernon-Evans, both who have not been confirmed to be able to play. And both teams haven't exactly come up clutch in important situations in the last few years. Cuba getting some of their big players back throws a bit of a wrinkle in the qualification process for Canada because the the idea was whichever one of Canada or Argentina didn't qualify through this Olympic qualifying tournament, they would have a pretty easy path through their continental qualifiers in January. Argentina, assuming Brazil qualifies, would pretty much have no one to contend with. Maybe Chile would be their opponent in that, and, and, and Argentina is a far better team. And then Canada, same kind of deal. USA would likely qualify. And then Canada would have likely had a pretty easy path through Norseca. However, Cuba with Robert Landy-Simon and Michael Sanchez and whoever, pretty tough competition for Canada. I think Canada would still be the better team, but definitely not a like 95% guarantee like it was before. But still likely will qualify for the Olympics one way or the other, and I know the guys are really focused on it. Matt Cheney asks, what is your prediction for the Team USA's Tokyo 2020 lineup? At this point, it's almost definitely Taylor Sander and Aaron Russell on the wings. Matt Anderson at opposite. Max Holt and David Smith in the middle. Eric Shoji at libero and Michael Christensen at setter. The only questionable spots, I would say, are David Smith. Could potentially get overtaken by Jeffrey Jendrick. Although Smith is still playing at a very high level, Jendrick is definitely showing that he's a, a, going to be a huge player in volleyball for years to come. Extremely talented devastating offensively had that really clutch moment during set five against brazil in the vnl semi-finals scored like five points through service aces and, and attacking so i could see gendrick playing over smith in certain matchups but smith's still a very good player and then also kind of leads into another question by justin martin 23 who asks due to usa's outside depth how would you feel about trying aaron russell at right side and i've seen this idea floated around a bit recently Aaron Russell's a really big outside hitter, standing at 205 centimeters or 6'9", which would be pretty big for an opposite, let alone an outside. However, as tends to be the case when you're that tall, passing is an issue. But for the most part, for Trentino in the Italian Super League, Aaron Russell has, has, has been fine. He hasn't been a great passer, and I don't think he ever will be, but he's been able to hold it down pretty decently. This year, his passes were 25% perfect on about 400 attempts, so that's pretty good. That was definitely a little bit above league average, better than guys like Trevor Cleveno, better than guy like Yuki Ishikawa, who we think is, is pretty strong passers. I think him moving to the right side is a bit of an overreaction. I think part of the reason why Spira sat him in that VNL finals was just due to a bit of nagging injury concerns. I think that's going to be more of an issue than his passing in the long term. I mean, it, it does seem natural at this point because Matt Anderson is arguably better as an outside hitter than as an opposite at this point. Is a very strong passer. Then you have Ben Patch, who a lot of people like, has been sitting on the bench. Why not move Matt Anderson to the left side and then Aaron Russell or Ben Patch on the right side? I mean, it definitely makes sense on paper, but I still think their best lineup is Russell and Taylor Sander at outside and Matt Anderson on the right side. It just puts the most talent on the court, and you still have pretty good passing overall between Eric Shoji and Taylor Sander. 
Plus, those guys have been playing with that lineup for a while now, so I wouldn't want to mess with the chemistry too much. Justin Martin 23 also asks, how big is the gap between USA, Russia, Poland, France, Italy, and the rest of the world? Couple issues with that list. First of all, did you forget Serbia? I know they haven't exactly finished amazingly at a lot of international competitions, but that team is still insanely talented, definitely deserves to be there. I think right now though, there's a couple different tiers. There's a top four, Poland, USA, Russia, Brazil. And then I think the next tier is France, Serbia, and Italy. Italy's obviously gonna be a lot better with Zaitsev and Wantarena still playing till the end of this Olympic cycle, but there's still a lot of systemic issues with that team and chemistry issues that I think put them a little bit below those other guys. And then I think Canada, Argentina, Belgium, Slovenia, and Iran. I don't think there's a huge gap between between that group and the group ahead of them. I think any one of those teams in that third tier could beat the teams in the second tier, even in the first tier, on any given day. Jacob's Fun Party asks, what is your opinion on players transferring national teams? Do you think it's good? I think it's a bit of a dicey subject that I've addressed in earlier mailbag podcasts. I can't remember exactly which one, but if you want more of a detailed answer, I think it's five or six where I go in pretty in-depth about this. But it's definitely a nuanced issue for the guys from Cuba who were stripped of their ability to play for their national team for maybe not really a legitimate reason. I don't see any trouble with them trying to integrate with a new country that will actually have them on your team. So guys like Yoandri Leal and Wilfredo Leon. And who knows, maybe if Cuba, like they're doing now, is, is willing to open the national team back up, maybe Leon and Leal and even Juan Terena would rather have stayed and played and represented their home country. I definitely lean towards accepting it more than a lot of people, it seems like, around the world. You know, if you've spent a lot of time in a country, you know the language, you are integrated into the society, you marry into the society, you have a wife or husband from that country, I think it's pretty legit. I think you should be able to play for their national team. I mean, this is sports. At the end of the day, it's not life or death. It's not the most serious thing in the world. So if people want to play for a country that they feel strongly affiliated with, and have a reason for doing so, then, then I think it's fine. It gets a bit iffy if it's super mercenary, like maybe the Dick Coy situation going on right now. But other than extreme examples like that, I, I, don't, I don't feel too strongly about it. Lucas Palavicino asks, what do you think of the Argentina young core? And to, to be honest, it's tough to know exactly which players this means. Argentina's been doing well at the youth level for a little while now, so there's a lot of strong players that are younger. Santiago Donani, their libero, born 1995, I think is the most impressive player of that young core. He had an exceptional season in Padova last year and has continued his great play with the VNL. I think clearly Argentina's best libero right now. They should definitely start him at the Olympic qualifying tournament. Then you have Bruno Lima and Augustin Loser. Lima opposite Augustin Loser being a middle. And I think both those guys, there's definitely groundwork there. They're athletic. They're clearly well-coached and well-trained. They're still missing a bit something. I think they still need to add a bit more to their game, maybe improve the service, take that to the next level in order to really improve their abilities and be a big positive contributor to Argentina going forward. And then you got a couple of even younger guys, Jan Martinez and Luciano Polanski. Polanski, one of the best scorers of the U21 World Championships right now, where Argentina looks like they're going to finish fifth or sixth. And then Martinez getting spot minutes at World Championships in VNL. So there's things I definitely like about Argentina's young core, but I would say they still need that superstar wing to develop through their system. Additionally, they have three fantastic setters in Luciano De Checo, Nicolas Uriarte, and Max Cavana, but all of them are getting a bit older, so 
I'm wondering who the next guy coming through the system is. I'm sure Argentina has someone. They always have incredible setters. But I, I just don't think the Argentina young core stacks up against some other countries like Poland, Russia, or Iran. And then Luca Pellavincino's next question is, why don't you upload more videos to YouTube channel? They're pretty good. First of all, thank you for the kind words. Very nice of you to say so. As for the YouTube videos, I haven't forgot about the channel. Working on putting a few together right now. The next video almost definitely is going to be the top 10 prospects in volleyball. I think you guys will really enjoy that one. But yes, I'll be trying to do a more consistent YouTube upload schedule because I've heard that a lot from a lot of different places. XVBGG also asks a pretty similar question. Samil Al Paslan, shout out to him, one of my Turkish fans, very knowledgeable. And he asks, what is your favorite underdog story this year? And I'm going to assume you mean in the national team season so far because I think I covered this question for the club season and the answer was Zevierci in the Plus Liga. But for the national team season... Definitely the Polish B team getting bronze at VNL. That was so crazy to watch. You know, that Poland barely qualifies by the skin of their teeth. And then Vidal Heinen announces that, yeah, we're actually going to just keep the A team in Poland and train. And yeah, all you rejects and people who got cut from the A team, yeah, you, you guys go to Chicago and compete in VNL. Good luck. And not only did they beat Brazil and Iran in the pool phase, they faced off against Brazil in the semifinals and actually managed to get a bronze medal, even though Vidal Heinen left on the last day of the competition for the medal game. Just like, yeah, it's more useful to have one more day in Poland than to win a bronze. So well done to that team. I don't I don't think they're that upset or feel jilted about it, at least from, from as far as I can tell. But still, you've probably got to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder after all that, that bronze medal probably feels pretty good. And he also asks, who will win the EU University's championship? Not really sure. Even for me, this is a bit small of a championship to focus on. Probably would say Italy, France, or Poland. Seems to have the best youth development programs as well as some pretty good universities. Also, Italy and Poland faced off in the gold medal match of the FISU Summer Universiad which you can watch on YouTube. Probably some familiar faces on those teams. McDoom asks, have you attended many foreign international pro matches and what are the best places to visit? Unfortunately, I haven't attended as many pro matches in person as I would have liked to. I will be in the Netherlands and France for all of September, attending the matches in Rotterdam, Amsterdam, Apeldoorn, and Paris for the Eurovolley Men's 2019 Championships. So, That'll give me a good taste of a few arenas, and hopefully one day I can do kind of a Italian or Polish or both tour where I just go to a bunch of pro matches, because I think that would be really, really fun. But the best place I've been to so far, I really liked the VNL games in Canada, in Ottawa. I thought they did a great job, really professionally done, great fan experience, really energetic crowd, just, just professional all the way through. So I would recommend that. If you're in the area around Ottawa during the Nations League, probably a bit of a niche area to visit. But, you know, it might, might happen. Simon Ur asks, do you have a favorite volleyball club? Why or why not? Uh, I wouldn't say I follow one club particularly closely. I mean, if we had pr professional volleyball in North America, I would probably follow the club from Toronto just because I like rooting for the hometown team. And that's why I support Team Canada mostly. But as for pro clubs, I like Milano in the Italian Super League. The last couple of years, they had a lot of players I like, like Namir Abdelaziz, 
and Nicola Pesaresi and Stephen Marr and Trevor Cleveno. So I've kind of followed them for the most part. Also like clubs with Canadians and to a lesser extent American players playing on them. But don't really feel too strongly in the club volleyball because you know it's just tough to form bonds with the club when you have never seen them in person. Andrea Schmidt asks, is Modena the new favorite in Italy after Bednor showing what he can do at VNL or is it still Lube? I'll do a big dive into the Italian Super League when I do their off-season recap slash review. But I will say that Bednorge was playing kind of like he was in VNL during the end of the season and into the playoffs. He was like one of their most important players during that point in the season, playing incredibly. And he also was playing well at Scrub Beltatov before he went to Modena. I think the only time he wasn't really playing well was the summer of 2018 in the first half of the 2018-2019 season. But I think other than that, he's proved he's a very high-level player, especially in front-row attacking. So I think, you know, the keeping Zaitsev, of getting Matt Anderson, they're certainly going to be a, an elite team in the Super League, unlike last year where they were kind of, you know, that fourth-place team between the big four. I will say that Perugia, they added Oleg Plotnitschke, which is a really, really big addition for them. Ljubi Civitanova looked pretty good as the Champions League and Italian Super League winners. They finally broke that losing curse. So I don't, I don't know if I would put Modian above those two teams. It's really, really close. And even Trentino is not that far behind. It's going to be really tight in the top five there in Italy. All, all are good teams. So I would say no, they're not the favorites. Mteo Garcia asks, volleyball free agency or NBA style free agency? And I think the easy answer is NBA style free agency. That stuff is crazy. You're just glued to your computer, you know, kind of refreshing Twitter and Reddit looking for the new signings. It's really, really exciting. Obviously, there's more interest and stuff around the signings in, in basketball than volleyball. But I think just the structure of the NBA and how players sign longer-term contracts, and there's only 30 teams they could potentially go to. Trades aren't really a thing in volleyball, so that doesn't happen. Drafting isn't really a thing in volleyball, so that doesn't happen. I think you know the 30-team contained league structure of the NBA makes sports infinitely more fun to follow and more fun to watch. I wish volleyball had one league of the best 30 teams. That would be so much fun, unfortunately, due to the nature of volleyball. It's like soccer where it's spread out all across the world. It's not really just focused in the USA. So unlikely that that's ever going to happen. But if I had to choose one style of free agency and trading and drafting, it would definitely be basketball. Like how exciting would it be to have a volleyball draft right now? of these players participating in the U21 World Championships. That, that, it would just be so cool. Micah Skinner has a really interesting question, and he says, what are your thoughts on how current age teams would match up against 2000-era teams? So I guess teams from 2000 2010. I think like any sport, the talent level in volleyball has increased over time, better coaching, better resources. And I think especially in volleyball, the training, I, I still don't think volleyball training is at all modernized compared to other sports like football and basketball, but they're getting there, and, and the training's certainly a lot better than it was maybe 20 years ago. So I think modern players would definitely be able to beat teams from 20 years ago. Again, it depends. Like, Are you doing the best team from this decade versus that decade? Are you doing the best team from 2019 versus the best team from 2001? There's, there's a few different ways you could go with it. Also in volleyball, around that time, the teams and players were still dealing with a couple of big changes in terms of uh, rally point scoring and also with the new libero position introduced around that time. So I don't think those were really integrated and gotten used to until pretty recently. 
I'm also just, you know, I think I think sports just keep getting better and better. Athletes just keep getting better and better. One of those people that thinks the 2017 Warriors would absolutely crush the 1996 Bulls. So I'm also probably a bit biased in, in this kind of thing. But interesting question. Maybe I'll, I'll come up in a future podcast with like the best players of 2019 versus the best players of 1999 or, or something like that. Matt Cheney also asks, who are players you think are overrated or underrated? I think I'll give you two of each. For underrated, first of all, I'm going to go with Oriel Kamejo, plays on Zenit St. Petersburg in Russia. I think he doesn't get a lot of attention considering he's like one of the top outsides in the world. And I feel like people barely talk about him because A, he doesn't play for a national team as a Cuban that I guess defected, although he is trying to come in on Russia, I've heard. And then also he plays in the Russian league on a team that has been in the Champions League before, but maybe doesn't feature like Zenit Kazan. So he hasn't gotten a lot of exposure and attention that way, but the dude is seriously like a 6'10 outside hitter that jumps well and is just incredible. And then another underrated guy, I think it's someone who I've mentioned is underrated before, but Dmitry Kovalev. I know he has a lot of tough competition for setting in Russia, including Alexander Butko and Igor Kobzar has had a really good volleyball Nations League. But Kovalev is like one middle 31 set away from overtaking both those guys, in my opinion. He's just so athletic, an incredible blocker, really good server. Of course, his main issue right now is his set placement, which I don't think on the pins is that bad. But when you're struggling to set guys like Ivan Yakovlev and Ilyas Kirkev in the middle, you know, I, I think that definitely needs to be improved. I think you can pretty much give up on him able to do a, a good pipe set, so which is fine. You know, a lot of teams have succeeded without a lot of back row setting. But Kovalev will join... Oriel Kamejo on Zenit St. Petersburg next year, which I think is, is going to be one of my favorite Russian teams to watch. Really looking forward to it, and I think they'll do really well. As for overrated players, I think one guy who I, I just don't understand the excitement about right now is Nemanja Petric, the Serbian outside hitter. I mean, he, he has been very good in the past, but he recently signed with Milano uh, to replace Stephen Mar, I guess. And in my opinion, that's a decently big downgrade. I don't really know why people don't think that. He, he's had a pretty steep decline in athleticism, and, and it's affected him for sure in, in his ability to play. He's not the greatest passer. When you start taking away that offense, which used to be really, really good, then uh, he just becomes a bit of an incomplete player. He's not, not a terrible player by any means, but I, I was kind of disappointed when, as, as I said earlier, Milano is my favorite team, and I don't think Nemanja Petric is a great starter in the Superliga in this point in his career. And then the other overrated player, you're probably not going to recognize him unless you follow the Italian Super League, but that's Marco Rizzo, a libero who played with Monza the last couple of years and next year is going to be playing with Valencia. And I just don't understand why he's one of these Italian liberos that is always giving a contract with a Series A team. He's not a great passer. He's not a good defender either. So I'm just wondering like what the appeal of him as a libero is. I think there's better Italian liberos that don't have starting positions with Italian Super League teams. And it's not like people think he's some like world-beater libero or anything, but there's only 14 starting libero spots, and I, I definitely don't think he is in that caliber of player. Gabber484 asks, which middle blockers are the most skilled at blocking? And, and I'll give you a few guys. These guys aren't necessarily like the top guys at blocking, but guys who are just really smart, uh, know how to read the ball. A lot of them aren't even the most athletic players. They just know how to get to the ball and read the setter really well. One of the guys I think is the perfect blocker is Viktor Yosefov of Bulgaria. Really, really smart. 
great technique, knows exactly where to jump, knows setter tendencies, knows attacker tendencies, knows how to position his hands, knows how to adjust in the air, seals the block really well. Just any middle blocker who wants to learn to be better at blocking, watch Viktor Yosefov. Svetsolov Gotsev, Yosefov's teammate, is also a really good middle blocker. Marco Bedrashinin, great middle blocker, always leads the Italian Super League in kill blocks as well. Uh, it just causes problems for opponents trying trying to work around him. Jakub Kohanovsky is fantastic considering he's a lot smaller than most middles and also a lot younger than most middles. So his ability to read, just get out to the pins lightning fast while still committing enough to the middle to make that a nuisance, really impressive. And then another Polish middle, Piotr Nowakowski. Even though he's not as fast as maybe a lot of middles, he's very smart. Great, great sense for the ball, and just a very, another very skilled blocker when it comes to footwork and handwork as well. Arbaz Shabir asks, when is the next volleyball tournament, and when is the Olympics? Actually, the Olympics are almost exactly one year from now. July 25th, 2020, I believe, is when they start. As for the next volleyball tournament, the Olympic qualifying tournament, which, if you win it, gets you into the Olympics, starts August 9th to 11th for the men's. Then T. Kiesman 1 asks a bunch of kind of more personal questions. When did you start to follow volleyball? Uh, I've, I've followed it probably since I started playing around 2008 or so, but I started going super in-depth, kind of like I do now, around the Rio Olympics. Where am I from? I'm from Toronto, Canada. Very nice city, very nice country. I recommend you all visit it someday. What is my favorite position? I'm an outside hitter, played pretty much only outside hitter my entire life, a little bit of opposite, a little bit of libero, sometimes even middle if I'm playing a lower level rec league. But I would say my favorite position, definitely outside hitter. You get to do everything. You get to pass, hit, block, serve. You have to be really well-rounded to be a good outside hitter. You have to be good at everything. can't have any weaknesses in your game. So that's why I like the position. And my favorite player, probably Wilfredo Leon. Because as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think he could go down as the greatest volleyball player of all time someday. Don't think enough people appreciate that, appreciate what he does for the sport. But I mean, I have so many players I like. So pretty much every game I watch, I have one guy at least at the very least i'm rooting for and i think that's all the questions for today i hope you enjoyed the podcast hope it took your mind off of that disappointing chance the rapper album for a little bit the next couple weeks going to be gearing up for the olympic qualifying tournament i'm really excited for it can't wait to do all the podcasts and previews and break down all the pools probably the biggest tournament of the summer in a pretty action-packed summer so going to be really exciting august 9th to 11th really looking forward to it hope you guys are too and i hope you have a great weekend thanks Thank you.